Hello and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed, and do I have something special for everyone today. So this episode, why am I starting out so strange? Well, this episode was lost to the Peruvian electronic interference lav mic nonsense, right? So you'd all probably remember, hopefully most of you remember this, uh, three interviews that are recorded down in Peru um, were basically almost unusable, right? The only uh, reason I was able to put out one interview with uh, Dean, myself, and Corey in the hotel room was because Corey had uh, his own recorder that picked up enough of Dean and I that we could actually go ahead and put that episode out. So an episode with uh, Dr. Anthony Maserol, which I did reschedule, and so I did release that episode, and then Devin Graham. So Devin Graham uh, runs Empty Amazon, the the trip that I was on, kind of the one of the head tropical fish guys, just an absolute awesome human being, and an, a walking fish encyclopedia. Uh, his interview was also basically ruined, but there's a, there's a shining knight coming in, right? There's a gentleman by the name of Dave Blanks. Listener, Dave Blanks out of Boone, North Carolina. Sound engineer, sound wizard, whatever you want to call him, right? He says, Randy, send me that episode. Let me see what I can do with it. I can fix some audio files. And I'm thinking, this thing, no way. Who knows what's going to happen? So I say, okay, Dave, let's go ahead and let, let's set that up. And I actually delay a couple days, but I get it to him nonetheless and just a couple of days later, he sends it back with three different versions of cleaned up audio. So it is now passable. It is better than passable. It's probably even better than the normal episodes that I put out as far as audio quality because Dave Blanks in Boone, North Carolina is absolutely awesome. So everybody, thank Dave Blanks for this episode, for me being able to release it. Um, I mean, Devin was fantastic. I can't wait for the next time I get to interact with Devin in person, whether it's in Florida where he lives or Peru where he kind of also lives because he's there for so long. He's just an amazing, amazing person. Loved hanging out and getting to know Devin. And to give some sponsorship credit where it is due. So that trip sponsored, uh, partially sponsored, you know, whatever you want to call it, by Awaza. Um, they helped me get down to Peru and basically everything, whether it be YouTube content or interview stuff, is going to be sponsored by Awaza. So, you know, still awesome people that are there. I still really enjoy my interactions with them. I still run a Biomaster 600 on my 75-gallon uh, Tetra Crypt kind of awesome tank of what it's, uh, you know, what this main display tank has morphed into. Uh, so great people at Awaza. More than happy to have them sponsor this kind of lot episode from the Peru uh, the Peruvian Amazon. Um, so enough of me rambling on about this episode. One more time, Dave Blanks, Boone, North Carolina. Uh, this episode is really possible because of you. So I hope everybody, you know, just in the back of your mind, you say, Dave, thank you very much. Now on to the interview. Today's date is Tuesday, the 13th of August. Of August, yes. <laughs> I'm losing track of time here. So this is day two of the MT Amazon expedition. We are in Peru in the uh, Peruvian Amazon, and I'm here with Devin Graham. Devin Graham is what is your official title, Devin? Uh, pretty much whatever you want to call me. Uh, <laughs> boat builder, general manager, uh, gopher, president, whatever. I do everything. Most definitely a little bit of everything, but I would say kind of the Head honcho, I guess, for the most part, kind of running. Yeah, social director. The social director, there we go. Um, yeah, so we are on uh, day two of this expedition. This is my first time being down here. It has been an absolutely awesome experience so far. And you, just in like 
passing conversation, whether it was with me or with somebody else, uh, me overhearing it, there's so much to your backstory that who you are is, I, I don't even think I could have made it up, right? As far as like your experiences, like how you got to this point here. So why don't you go ahead and kind of, from an Aquarius perspective, how did you get your start in the hobby? Well, I don't really consider myself to be a hobbyist as such. I, lo I love fish. I love tropical fish. I have a few tanks myself, but, uh, you know, I've, I've never really been into breeding fish. But my, my first recollection of seeing aquarium fish was at boarding school in Kenya when I was eight years old. The head, head person at the house had a fish tank, which had... Hatchet fish, marbled hatchet fish, Corydoras, and some kind of tetra. I don't remember what kind it was, but I distinctly remember the marbled hatchet fish and the Corydoras. So, middle of Africa, and the first aquarium fish I'm seeing are South American yeah, fish. Nice. And then I loved reading about the Amazon. I'd just devour all the stories I could get. I lived for six years in Africa when I was a kid, and I just thought that the Amazon was so remote that I would probably never, ever, ever get a chance to see it. Twenty, Going on 26 years ago now, I was finishing up my PhD at the University of Miami, and got put in contact with the person that had started MT Amazon Expeditions, actually, under a different name at that point in time, and the person who started Project Amazonas, and we were put in contact by a mutual friend who was the curator of fishes at the Dallas Aquarium at the time. He invited me to come down to Peru and said, hey, I'm going down next month. Why don't you come? So I came down for a week, came back the next summer for a couple of months, and then just kept coming back. And now I spend about five to six months total time out of the year down here. And the rest of my time is in Miami or wherever I happen to be traveling. Wow, and that was your first time coming down to Peru was when you got invited down? Correct. That okay. was 1994. Okay. And then let's get some background on your, your education. And this was something that, you know, I, I didn't know you had a PhD when I was coming on at this cruise, which, you know, I didn't know you, so I... I was like higher I, and deeper. It wasn't like I was <laughs> judging you or anything, but what, what's your educational background? So from, you know, BS, uh, your master's program, and then PhD, like what... Yeah, no, I, from the time I was a kid, I knew I was going to be a biologist, seven or eight year old, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to be a biologist when I grow up. There was never any question. Let me, uh, and I forgot, I'm sorry, Devin, I have to pause you right now because we forgot to mention that, uh, we forgot to mention the marmoset in the room. Uh, you're not supposed to talk about things like that. No? You know, the elephant in the room, marmoset in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right now I have a, uh, a rescue baby marmoset sitting on my shoulder underneath my t-shirt. It's falling asleep. Uh, it was eating. You know, it was eating delicious bananas. <laughs> I, I kind of look like the hunchback of Notre Dame right now. Yeah, because I got this uh, lump on my shoulder that occasionally twitches. Uh, and it's important to say that it's a rescue. So we were at this village where we were collecting, and you know, one of the kids had it as a pet. And it sounds like you know, under those conditions, it probably wasn't going to be the best for it. And so, uh, what what are we going to do with this thing? Well, this uh, animal, there there is a uh, rescue center for primates that we'll be visiting in a few days, and so we'll keep the marmoset on board the boat with us and uh, feed it and uh, take care of it, and then we will be dropping it off to a rescue center where they actually rehabilitate primates back into the wild. Mm -hmm. 
We've taken other primates there, and some of them have actually been taken back. You know, some of the rarer species, they get a group of them together and, you know, that are socialized, and then they have a whole protocol for releasing them into the wild so that they're ensuring that they can take care of themselves mm-hmm. and they're not just going to die. If, if, we, if we took this baby marmoset and let it loose in the woods, it would last one or two days but before yeah. something ate it, yeah. you know, a hawk, an owl, you know, it wouldn't know how to forage for itself. It would starve. What would you guess the age at of this one? Probably two months old, I would guess. Yeah, just a baby. But uh, just a baby still. Yeah. The male marmosets carry the babies around, so I'm its new daddy. What, what's the theory? I mean, and I, I don't mean to, you know, talk bad of the village that we came from, but typically how do they come across these animals? Are they... Are they actually killing the parent and then taking the baby? Or are they scaring the parent away and are then able to get the baby from, from that well, situation? T- typically, the way anybody gets a baby animal here is through hunting. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're out hunting in the woods. And, and local people hunt for... They're, they're not doing it for fun. They're, right. they're hunting for food. It's subsistence living. Subsistence yeah. living. And so you, you shoot a monkey, you shoot an agouti or whatever animal it is that happens to have a baby. With uh, pacas, one of the big jungle rodents that's a very favored meat, you know, they'll shoot a female paca and it's obviously pregnant, so they'll actually do a C-section, deliver the baby on the spot, take the baby back home, and it becomes the kid's pet. Wow, I, I need a Google image that that animal. Unless we have a reference book upstairs, that uh, we don't have that one on there. But uh, a paca is about a it gets to about thirty thirty five pounds. Wow, sort of looks like a short legged deer. Okay, some stripes and some spots on it. Wow, like like yeah. a miniature Bambi. That that is insane. They would actually perform a C section and then raise oh, yeah. that. Yep. Wow. Yep. Yep. Okay. And, and and the baby pacas get very tame. I mean, they'll run around the house, and they seem to do very well. I mean, they're a rodent. I mean, wow. oversized rat, so very mm-hmm. adaptable. I, I, you can't make that up. Like, no. I feel like you can't. You, you can't make that up. Wow. No. So so before I interrupted you with the the marmot in the room or the marmoset in the room. I'm sorry, marmot thinking of back home. Uh, your your education. So you always knew you're going to be into biology. You're going to be a biologist. Yeah. So I, I did an undergraduate degree in Michigan in zoology and uh, minored in French and chemistry. Mm-hmm. Don't know why. <laughs> but uh, actually, the French served me well because I did a couple years in the Peace Corps uh, in West Africa where I used French every day. Did the Peace Corps, and then I did a, a master's degree in marine biology in Washington State, your home state now, yeah, yeah. out on Puget Sound where I uh, studied sea anemones and their association with zooxanthellae and zochlorelli, two types of algae mm-hmm. that actually uh, live inside the tissues of the sea anemones. Oh, wow. And from there I went to University of Miami because they had a really good program in tropical ecology. Mm. And I've always loved the tropics. Spent too many years in the Canadian prairies as a teenager, freezing my butt off. <laughs> and I don't miss winter at all. So Miami was a good place to go to. And I didn't expect to stay there, but I stayed there ever since. But I basically did three years of field work in Costa Rica for my uh, PhD, and I was radio tracking birds and seeing where they were taking seeds that they were eating and looking at the ecological relationship between birds and understory plants and looking at seed dispersal issues. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because that's a major evolutionary move, for lack of a more scientific word, for some of these plants is to have an attractive fruit or whatever it may Absolutely. be for a bird to consume it, yep. take it somewhere else. and Absolutely. Okay. And then when you come down here to the Amazon, you have fish doing the same thing that birds do in other places. A lot of trees have fruits that are attractive to fish. They fruit at the high water season when, you know, the forest can be flooded for miles and miles and miles and fish are attracted to the sound of fruits dropping in the water. They come and eat the fruit and then they poop out the seeds somewhere else and so you got seed dispersal by fish. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, now, when it comes to scientific naming of, of animals, so obviously being around you, um, I have seen you, you know, take a quick glance at a fish and just spit out the scientific name. And for me, that's there's a couple areas as an aquarist that I, I you know, as the years go on, I want to strengthen in my um, ability to name fish with the scientific name um, and also just a better understanding of water chemistry, a more intimate understanding of water chemistry mm. and the impact they yep. have on fish. So for me, those are, those are two areas that I'm going to continually work on. So I'm just absolutely amazed like rock star idol status when you're just calling out <laughs> when you're just hitting genuses and species and then it's fun when you're like ah it could be that species but then it's like you know them so well that you can debate it in your head as opposed to you have like this fledgling understanding and you go all in on one species you think it is but you know enough to like debate within yourself on uh, on which species it may be so uh, Idi Idi idiot savant <laughs> because, <laughs> because then it's like it's like oh well uh shoot who's that person's name you know, we're only eight of us on the boat, you know, and, and I have to stop and think, you know, geez, what's the name of that guy right across the table? You know, I know it, I know it, I know it, but, you know, it takes me a moment to come up with it, and for some reason, I just, you know, scientific names just nice. pop into mind, but... Nice. And so, so you know so many of these fish down here. Also, we came across, when we were going out to the discus farm, air quotes, the frog. So there was a frog in the forest, and you knew yep. the scientific name for that. And then also with your ornithological, ornithological, yep, 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 yep. Am I, is there supposed to be a ornithological, oh, yeah, there you go. okay, bird, uh, bird stuff, you know, you know, scientific names for birds as well. So would you say that, you know, more reptiles, amphibian scientific names? Would you say, you know, more fish? Do you know more birds? Like, yes. To which one? <laughs> to all. <laughs> no, it, it's a, you know, it, it just varies depending on which group I'm going with. You know, sometimes I'm with groups that are interested in snakes and frogs and lizards and salamanders. And so I tend to focus on those. And uh, every group that I go with, there's somebody on that group that knows more about a particular group of organisms than I do. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I guess I just sort of act like a sponge and soak it up and absorb some of that knowledge and you know it goes into little compartments somewhere up there in the gray matter and <laughs> and that weird points in time that just gets regurgitated <laughs> nice yeah because it's funny you either refer to something with its like peruvian spanish name or you'll refer to it with its scientific name you don't ever use the common name that i might be used I, to. yeah yeah i, I you know when it comes to the English common name, yeah, I, I sometimes have to struggle with that because I'm used to the crew or the local people calling it by the local name, and, and I know the scientific name because, you know, then that's universal regardless of where you are, you know, it means the same animal. Mm -hmm. But uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, other things like boat parts and woodworking and stuff like that, sometimes I have to struggle to find the English word Whereas the Spanish one just comes right like that, because mm -hmm. here, here is where I learned the terminology to start with, mm -hmm. and then, you know, I learned the Spanish term first, and 
the English term later on. And so you took uh, French in uh, no in uh, undergrad. So, I, I, well, I had French in high school and okay. uh, undergrad. Yeah. Okay, and, and your Spanish is I fluent. I would say you're fluent in Spanish. Uh, my grammar can be pretty bad, but I, I get by. People that don't know any Spanish think I'm fluent because I just okay. rattle it off and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so you didn't speak any Spanish when you came down here then? No. Okay. No. Because what I've found, and I talked with Michael about this when he and I interviewed, uh, or when I interviewed him for the podcast, that you know, immersing yourself in a place um, that even if you don't know the language, within two to three weeks, you start you start amassing enough words, and then beyond three weeks, I feel like you know the floodgates kind of open up and you can start having these quasi-conversations, what was your experience like with learning Spanish? I think to learn any language, you basically have to go somewhere where if you want to eat, you have to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, don't go with somebody that speaks the language already, because then you're just depending on them. You know, it's like, oh, what did he say? What did she say? You know, what does the menu say? No, you, you, you go by yourself, stick with it. And if you make the effort, people are very friendly. Yeah. They will take the time to try and understand you. Yeah. And, you know, don't, don't be an ugly American. Just try and communicate. And the worst part is when you get to the place where you can say a few sentences more or less fluently. And then they run with it. And, 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 think, and then they, they think exactly, you're fluent. They yeah. run with it, you know, and it's like, yeah. and you're going... I didn't understand a yeah. bit of that. You know, you're going slow down. Wait, wait. I I, w I would like to think that because I can roll my R's properly, having grown up in California, yep. and you know, yep. having yep. having Spanish speaking friends, taking a little of the Spanish that I can do that. I can say a couple things decently, yep. and yep. then they 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 do. They're like they and they fire off, and then I have to come back and say, oh no, poquito, poquito español. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's very common. Oh man. So, what was the first fish that you saw down here that? really blew you away seeing it in life for the first time like oh boy that's a that's a tough question I you know I, I think maybe the knife fishes mm. I mean just because they're they have such a unique way of moving and you know they've got the long ventral fin that runs the whole length of the body the and, undulation. It, and, and undulation and they can go forward and backward with mm. it it's just you know kind of a super cool uh, thing and and they also communicate electrically. Mm. I mean, they they generate electrical impulses. They actually have courtship songs that are electrical pulses. It's it's really bizarre. It's really unique. And to my credit, now actually, let's put you on the spot. So, what was the ghost? What was the knife fish that I caught today? Jim notice. Jim notice. Coat side. Coat side. Yeah. Awesome. One, one, one of the really, really spectacular knife fish. Yeah. Uh, sort of black and white and brown with some circles mm -hmm. on it in the forward part of the body. Yeah. You but, saying that, uh, oh, yeah, there's potentially a really pretty knife fish in these waters. Yeah. And I had just caught it without really telling anybody. For me, I just lit up in like a, a proud moment because I haven't been the person bringing in the most fish. But I feel like That's bringing in, the crew. <laughs> I'm like bringing in that one fish, and Devin got excited. Yes, and yep, so yep. and that was the only one we caught today. So yeah, and so the the plan is to take that home. I think I might put together a uh, an oddball tank from this trip of some of the smaller species catfish that we have. That knife fish. Hopefully, they play well together. But definitely, uh, catfish, catfish and knifefish should be compatible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so definitely uh, taking that guy home, and and you know. 
enjoy because on it, people have heard me before say that there's certain fish that I appreciate, but I would never keep, and I I would squarely put the knife fish in that category. Mm. But now just having that experience of I'm the one that caught it. Out. I caught it. Yeah, you know, it, it, we are. We already feel like you know it's a unique one. It's a beautiful knife fish. So it's yeah. the only one we I'm, got. You know, I'm, I'm I'm continually having people tell me, oh, remember that trip that I was on six, seven, eight years ago? I still have this X Y Z fish species from that trip, and you know, it sort of ties everything back to that trip. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time you look at that fish, uh, you know, they're reminded of their time down here and, uh, and you know, obviously they stay in contact. They come back again. Uh, we have one person on this trip who's, I think it's his 14th time back. <laughs> George. Which, yeah. Uh, George, yeah. George, George, George of the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely funny. Some of the stories, you know, just going back. Which 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 time was that? Which time was that? Which trip was that? And it's like, well, there's yeah, 14 and I, of them I'm, to choose from. And I'm always going, I can't possibly remember. You know, I've been on 30 trips since you were on that one. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel do you feel pressure when people like myself that this is their first time coming? You know, we, we arranged. You know, kind of moved heaven and earth to get kid coverage for a toddler and a baby. You know, when when somebody like that comes down here, do you feel pressure to put people on fish to give them that experience? Mm, that not, or do you not, just know it's going to happen? Not and, really, because I mean, we always catch fish. Mm-hmm. The crew know all the local spots. You know, we've been doing this long enough that we we have a very good idea of where you can get particular types of fish. And so, more, more for me, it's finding out, okay, what kind of fish are the different clients interested mm-hmm. in? And then we can sort of pick spots to go collecting or, or habitat types mm-hmm. where we can maximize the probability that they'll get the fish that they really want. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, we want everybody to go home happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for me, it was the only thing really coming into the trip that I knew that if I could bring home, I, I would really want to, would be the uh, discus. And yep. we've already secured that. And so that's been, you know, that, that was, I don't want to say a pressure relief on my own shoulders, but, you know, that, that's just like icing on the cake before we've even started the trip. So that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. you know, one, one check mark or a box yeah. ticked off and yeah. it's like, okay, done that. Well, the, the biggest piece for me is just the experience. You know, in my, in my broken Spanish, communicating with the crew, you know, them yep. asking me if it's my first time in Peru and what's my favorite fish, what am I trying to catch? You know, I told them I, I like discus, and so we've got those. They know that. But just telling them, you know, the the experience, going out and actually catching whatever it is we catch and, and hanging out with the fellow collectors and hanging out with the crew and just, you know, experiencing this, this remarkable place. And uh, seeing some of the fish that brought in. I mean, uh, this evening, those fish that the crew were buying from local fishermen, like yeah. giant tiger shovelnose catfish. Yeah. I mean, that biggest one was, yeah. what, 40 pounds, it 50 huge, pounds? Huge. And actually, I would say, seeing the discus is like, oh, cool, those are, those are, those are discus from here. Yeah. But seeing the tiger shoveling those catfish, yeah. that's amazing. Like, that's... And then actually interacting with it, feel like, feeling the, the hard bone of its head and just how, how hard that is and seeing the iridescence of its skin so close up and the pattern yeah. and the stripes, it's just, that's just an incredible experience. And the other day when uh, the local fishermen, they knew we were collecting fish and they brought in the Drew NC catfish, the one with this 
sort of vertical stripes on it, but uh, really, really, really long antenna. Mm -hmm. uh, Breaky Platystoma Jurensi, I don't know what they what you call it in the trade, <laughs> but you know, that retails for four or five hundred dollars back in the US. Wow. And they yeah. just gave it to us because it was too small for them to sell or eat. Yeah. And yeah, that one's going back to the US. Yeah, yeah. How would you describe to so let's say, you know, this audience of the Aquarius podcast, somebody that's on the fence of, you know, do I go down there, do I not? Like somebody that's really passionate and wants to potentially one day, like it's on their bucket list, right? Like Yep. What would you say to push them over? Like, what would be your your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, if, if you love fish and you really want to see where they live in nature and the types of habitats they come out of and have a better idea of how to take care of your own fish, you know, if, if you know where they come from, you know the kind of water quality, the kind of habitat that they're coming out of, you're going to be more successful at, at breeding them, at caring for them. And plus, it's just a hell of a lot of fun to be able to point at a tank and say, yeah, I caught those. Mm -hmm. You know, I got those and personally and brought them back, and now I'm breeding them. You know, like I did when I was a kid. I thought the Amazon was just so remote and so far away. Uh, it really isn't. It's really not. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, from Florida to here, where we are now, it's a five-hour flight from Miami to Lima, and then another hour-and-a-half flight to Iquitos, and you're in the heart of the uh, Peruvian Amazon. Yeah. So, you know, it takes me longer to fly to the West Coast from Florida than it takes me to come down here to the Amazon. Mm. So it's, uh, you know, not, not that remote. And there's a lot of an amenities now when you come down here. It's, I mean, for some people, they're worried about, well, I don't speak Spanish. How am I going to get along? One of the things that people always comment on after trips is the thing that this that surprised them the most was how nice everybody was, mm -hmm. how friendly people were. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we've yeah. seen that the last couple of days. You show up at a village and ask if you can go fishing in their creek. Yeah, sure, go ahead. And the kids come along and they help out. We had several young guys helping with uh, catching fish and carrying the buckets today. And, and they were having a blast, too. I mean, they yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, from Iquitos, uh, you know, my day and a half, two days in Iquitos before we even got on the boat, I was already having an incredibly pleasant experience and, you know, a lot of patience and a lot of um, just a very relaxed atmosphere, even in Iquitos, you know, yep. from the people. Uh, my hotel was right across from Plaza de Armas, um, is I think the pronunciation of that. Yep, Plaza de Armas. Yeah, Plaza Central de Armas. Central Square of town. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all the, all the families go out at around, what, like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. They all yeah, flood the Yeah, it's very, very, very social scene, very yeah. family-oriented. Yeah, so Neil and I, we were sitting kind of on the, the statue steps and, you know, watching kids play with their parents and play with each other, and it was just awesome. And, you know, there, there were, of course, you know, the, the little kids were, were kind of gawking, like, oh, ooh, what are these, who are these guys? You know, yeah, you don't look like yeah, you're from around yeah. here. But it was all, you know, it was all in fun. They're just little kids being curious and, you know, asking, are you Estados Unidos? And, yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and, and people, you know, if they know a little bit of English, mm -hmm. they always want to try it out. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have that sense of separateness down mm -hmm. here. I mean... You know, you, you become instantly part of the uh, social scene, mm -hmm. part of the culture, and, uh, you know, people are wonderful. Mm -hmm. Now, having done this for so long, let's ask the question of what's the most common thing that people are unprepared for that you would then try to empower people coming down? Like, you'd really hammer these one or two points home, like, 
alright guys, most people, you know, we, we try to tell them this and they don't do it or, you know, they forget this item. Like, what's that piece of advice that you would give somebody or two pieces of advice when they come down here? Read the literature that we send you. <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah, you guys yeah, Because there is there is a lot of information in there, but then you have people that don't read it, and uh, it's like, oh, well, I didn't know I should have brought that. Well, it's like, well, you didn't read what we sent you. Uh, you know, a, g a good flashlight, rechargeable battery, basic medical kit to take care of whatever might ail you. You know, you probably know if you're going to be really susceptible to insect bites. Mm -hmm. You know, come prepared. Come prepared for a strong sun. You know, if you burn easily, bring some lightweight long sleeve shirts. You know, old dress shirts. Go to Goodwill. Pick them up. My tan is looking good They're, right uh, Yeah, I'll you're looking that. great. I'll say that right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I always tell people, yeah, go through your closet. Bring the stuff that you haven't worn in six months. Or, mm -hmm. or go, to, go to Goodwill. Pick up a few things, and, you know, for collecting clothes. When you're out in the bush, uh, tromping through mud, I mean, we had mud that was well over our knees today in a couple places with thorny palm fronds, and you know, I had some awesome fish there, but, yeah. you know, just long well, pants, long sleeves. Well, the, the contrast between what you and the crew wear, and I, and I squarely put you in the same category as the crew because you are working so hard, <laughs> you're like, you're the tip of the spear when we're collecting, but yeah, I mean, you're. I'm so, doing it because so, I, because I'm having fun. So you're rocking, you're rocking board shorts. They're like normal cotton board shorts, right? You're now wearing a quick dry shirt. Cotton socks is what you're wearing with your rubber boots. Um, yep, pretty much. And the crew, t-shirts, tank tops, jeans, uh, Chuck Taylors. I think I saw one of the guys wearing Chucks. Yep. Cotton polos, and then all of us on the trip, we are like in the. Quick dry Columbia North Face, like we're just we're just geared. I'm not telling, but for most of us, we're geared out in like the high tech gear, yeah, and yet we're the ones yeah. catching the fewest fish. And it, it's very very funny to see that contrast because from just a pure equipment standpoint, you'd be like, oh, those guys, they like they're going on a safari, man. They know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's the barefoot guy in the uh, in the the cargo shorts that's you know doing all the work. <laughs> Well, again, there's no fashion police down here, so... No, uh, there, there, there's really not. Yeah. Um, I think so far what I've noticed is just your ability to wash off in the river, take a quick shower with your collecting clothes on, let them hang dry. I definitely overpacked on the collecting items. Like, I honestly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. If, so, some of the places we're getting into are so incredibly muddy. You know, that mud is never going to come out entirely. So, you know, pick a old pair of serviceable shirts and shorts or long sleeve uh, shirts and pants mm -hmm. and uh, you know you just hang them out and you know every time I go collecting I just pull on the same stuff again you know it's those, those pants though that I'm not going to get any cleaner the, the <laughs> pants that I've worn now for all of our collecting I jump in the shower hit the river and I've actually the mud's been those, coming off those, those ones actually do seem to shed the mud very uh, efficiently what yeah. brand are they uh, those are just marmots from Costco Okay. So the Marmot yeah. brand, when you buy it at REI, you're probably paying like sixty bucks. The Costco had them for twenty nine. Oh. So I bought. Yeah, so go I, for it. I brought three pairs. Yeah. I'm only ever going to wear that one pair. Yeah. So sure. I sure. already packed. I already packed too many clothes for this trip. But yeah. better to be prepared, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I guess uh, people don't realize when they come down here is Peru is moving into kind of like that middle tier of countries in terms of development. So if you forget something or if you lose your luggage, 
or the airlines doesn't <laughs> deliver your luggage. Uh, you can pretty much get everything that you need in Iquitos, mm -hmm. and often quite a bit cheaper than you can get it in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, don't freak out. If you forgot something or if you need something, you know, we, we get rubber boots here. And, you know, they're a third the cost that they would be in the U.S. Yeah. And you don't have to carry them. Yeah. I More would, space in your luggage. And, and I would imagine, too, that there's a level of camaraderie already amongst us that are on this trip where, oh, Neil, you're, you, the airline lost your luggage. Yep. Um, you know, here, do you need to borrow shorts? Do you need to borrow a shirt? Like, what, yep. what do you need to make this trip still be great for you? And... You know, I, I'm sure if you ask Neil this, and I will when, when I get him in the hot seat, that he would have loved to have had his luggage, right? That he packed his clothes. But at the same time, like, everybody's willing to, Yeah, you know, well, he, he wasn't letting it ruin his trip either. No, not at all. You know, it's like, my luggage didn't show up. Nothing I can do about it. We already got somebody working on it. Yeah. You know, Guillermo, our transfer agent, you know, he's taking care of it, so... I mean, if he can't solve it, you know, I'm certainly not going to be able to, so... Yeah. Well, that's another And piece. he did solve it, so... Yeah, that, that's another piece, too. It's not like... Um, in my head, maybe a lot of people, they would think that the people putting on this trip are just those that are on the boat. But that's not that's not a true statement because Guillermo is in Iquitos. Yep. And he's running things behind the scenes, too. So oh, yeah, there, absolutely. Like, there's a level of support and infrastructure behind this that I actually didn't even expect coming into this. I just yep. figured whoever was on the boat was a part of the trip, and that's how it's going to be. But we could give him a call, and if there was, something, we have. That, if there was something that was desperately needed, yeah, yep. he would just jump in a fast boat and, and meet up with the mothership yep. and take care of us. No, no. We have uh, a good support team back in Iquitos. So uh, our general manager uh, puts on all the food mm -hmm. and the fuels and everything else that we need in terms of supplies. We have Guillermo who meets you at the airport, yeah. takes you back to the airport. You know, if a flight is canceled or delayed, you know, we'll work to get you on a different flight. Yeah. Especially when you're going back to the States and you can't miss that international yeah, connection. Yeah. The, the, the crew are all jack-of-all-trades. Yeah. So they, they do a little bit of everything. Every, everybody pitches in and does what's necessary. And Yeah, and I say this in a positive way, but, you know, that hand-holding and that guiding that you guys actually provide, you know, for somebody coming down here for the first time or somebody that's maybe on the fence going to a South American or an African or a Southeast Asian country might be out of their comfort zone. Yep. If you come on this trip, you will have, again, hand-holding, but in such a positive way that, you know, you're going to hit the ground running. Like, you're going to have a support team that's going to absolutely take care of you, you know, if you come down to this trip. And then all you have to do is just focus on how much fun you're going to have, taking the local yep. Iquitos culture while you're there, taking the culture of all these little villages that we stop at and just enjoy when the kids all run out to see the boat and you know the collecting yep. and you know you can just focus on all that and not all the moving pieces that are behind the scenes that you guys are helping to take care of yeah well for instance Corey and dean arrived monday morning instead Thanks. of on sunday so mm -hmm. you know the boat was already up river but uh you know we had it all set up uh they went from the airport to the port bought some boots on the way and uh you know they were up here for breakfast mm -hmm. So, was, uh, you know, they didn't have to worry about the details. We had that all taken care of. Mm -hmm. You know, Guillermo and Fernando, our general manager, had that all arranged ahead of time. So it was an easy connection. Yeah, yeah. And I think we've talked um, a really good a bit about this expedition up to so far with, you know, kind of some highlights. If somebody wanted to come on this trip, a little bit about what they could expect. But something that I think is really important and that I personally want to know more about is just Project Amazonas. 
So can you tell me a little bit about Project Amazonas? Yeah, Project Amazonas is a uh, nonprofit, U.S. Uh, Peruvian nonprofit that was born out of MT Amazon expeditions. Uh, basically, the person that started MT Amazon expeditions and some of his clients, you know, many years ago, they got together and they said, "Yeah, you know, we need to do something to give back to the communities on these rivers." At that time, the proving economy was horrible. You know, there was no development, no medical work, anything like that out in the rural areas. And so they got together and they uh, incorporated as a nonprofit organization. Some of the uh, those original people are still board members today. And over the years, we've developed a couple of research stations and uh, forest reserves that not only preserve the habitat, but they also provide a great location for courses, for researchers of all levels, whether they're undergraduate students or graduate students or senior researchers, you know, working on bigger projects. So they're available for that. We take ecotourists there. You know, they help to finance the running of the stations, upgrades, salaries for the, uh, the caretakers. And then we also do a lot of medical service trips over the course of the year. Basically, the boat that we're on, when it's not being used for a trip like this, it's uh, going community to community on some of the smaller rivers or more isolated rivers. And we basically take over the school or the community hall if they have one, and we'll do clinic for the day. And everything is entirely free. We have a, a Peruvian dentist, a Peruvian doctor that come along. You know, a lot of medical students volunteer, other medical people. We have a lot of uh, medical students from the U.S. and from England, or the United Kingdom that come, various other Europeans, Australians, Canadians. Next year, we've got six students from Hong Kong, medical students from Hong Kong that are planning on coming. Wow. And, and a scattering from uh, South America, Argentinians, Uruguayans, Colombians. It's, it's a very rewarding sort of thing to do. And it also sort of sets the stage for trips like this, mm -hmm. because we go to these rivers, we're doing medical service work, uh, we're not espousing any political agenda, any religious agenda, any social agenda. It's like, no, we're, we're just here to provide medical care, whatever is needed. You know, we don't care who you voted for, or, you know, what religion you practice, doesn't matter. But then when we come back to these communities with a, a fish collecting group, for instance, people already know who we are. Mm -hmm. They know that we don't have some ulterior motive mm -hmm. that we're pushing. And we're always welcomed. You know, like, like the guy in this community here, one of the uh, aldermen of the community, you know, he knew who I was. You know, he's seen me here a number of times and he said, oh, you're always welcome. And, and we left off a donation of uh, medical supplies for the community uh, first aid kit. Mm -hmm. We, we build up a, a good level of trust over many years. I've been coming down here for 26 years now, 27. I can't do the math. <laughs> you know, so, so people on, on a lot of these rivers, they recognize us, they recognize the boat, they know the crew. You know, we're, we're part of a bigger community. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, one of the fun things is to be able to make people like you that come on these trips part of that community as well. And, uh, you know, some communities, you know, maybe stop there in the afternoon. They got a soccer game going on. The crew all want to join. Any of you guys want to join? You're always more than welcome. 
but you know you got to chip in a couple of solas because they always play for money. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it keeps the competition honest. Nice. I mean, there, there haven't been any soccer matches, but I would. I'm definitely uh, Neil and I have been talking about it, and yeah, that'd be that'd be good times if we can get it on one. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll have to. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sundays there are always soccer matches, mm. but uh, other times of the week, yeah. You know, if we show up. They have a, a decent uh, soccer pitch, you know. It's like, yeah, they'll be up for playing. Mm. So this boat, is it used more than for these uh, medical expeditions, or is it used more for the ecotourism trips? Is it, is it kind of even? It's probably about half and half. Okay. Uh, I mean, uh, the boat is probably on medical trips uh, 18 to 20 weeks out of the year, and then we have some uh, academic courses that use it. Equator trips that use it, mm-hmm. and and of course then there's downtime too. But, uh, but that, that that's a pretty strong percentage though of you know the amount of time that this boat is in service to such an amazing cause of just without yeah. without yeah. asking. Here's medical stuff. Let's give you some. Let's, let's set up clinic and yep. let's give some medical service to these remote areas that otherwise it'd be what four or five hour. Uh, you know it can be anywhere up to eight to twelve hours to get to the closest medical post and. And that's uh, dependent on whether they have fuels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's the little pecky pecky uh, two-stroke outboard motor, mm-hmm. dragon tail thing. In the, in the past, when we first started, nobody had those. You know, if somebody wanted to go to a clinic, they had to paddle a canoe mm-hmm. the entire way, and mm-hmm. you know that could be two days. Yeah. And then these kinds of collecting trips, though, with hobbyists, help to fund those medical absolutely yep 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 so if anybody was looking for pretty much all the proceeds go back into the organization and the project amazonas so yeah yeah and i mean that's just you know you're i'm down here having an amazing time um collecting fish that i I'll, i'll bring back home with me um at some point in the future but to also know that you know proceeds from this will just continue to be reinvested into the community with something amazing like healthcare i mean that's that's just fantastic and and baby monkeys, <laughs> yeah, is yeah. He, I'm, I'm I'm having a Quasimodo moment here on my shoulder. He's uh, doing a little bit of twitching. Nice. Hi, <laughs> right, Devin. So, how can people find out more about MT Amazon if they're interested? Give me some links. Give me some contact information, and that way, when this episode posts, we'll have some quick links for people to to follow up. Yep. Okay. So, uh, if you uh, are interested in the Equator trips, you can just Google uh, Margarita Tours, which is the old name, or MT. You know, just the letters M and T, and then Amazon Expeditions, mm-hmm. and that'll pop up. If you're interested in Project Amazonas and what's happening on that front, just uh, Google Project Amazonas, A M A Z O N A S, the Spanish spelling. And it'll pop up right away. Nice. Do you guys do any like Instagram posts while we're out collecting? Do you take any photos and post up? Well, I know you guys I, take photos. I, I take a lot of photos, but you know, somebody set me up with Instagram two years ago, and I've never gone on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when when I'm back in the states, I'm on the computer twelve hours a day, just doing coordination and emails and budgets and all of that and so i i just don't do social media and then when i'm down here i don't have the options so yeah oh and dinner's ready what perfect timing dinner's ready yeah all right dem well thank you very much for uh jumping in the hot seat live in uh in peru on the amazon and like i said i've had such an amazing time so thank you very much for all of your hard work and the hard work that you and the crew are going to put in for these next few days definitely appreciate it and yeah anybody interested 
you're going to hear me talk about how amazing this trip was for months and months and months. So check out the links and uh, learn more about MT Amazon. So Devin, thank you very much, and let's go have some dinner. Okay, thank you. My pleasure.